contributes to the protection of the castle watershed. And Richard gave us a wonderful synopsis of the issues involved. I really hate to rush you with your wonderful meal because I think this is one of, one of the wonderful assets of SACPA that we can have wonderful entertainment and discussion and socialize with a wonderful meal. So I think it's just a wonderful... It's the best deal in town as far as I'm concerned. <coughs> uh, Richard is here eager to answer any questions you may have pertaining to how we should manage this wonderful area. He hardly had time to eat his hamburger because there were so many issues, so many questions. But he's fortified and he's ready for you. If you want to please come up to the microphone and pose your questions. In the meantime, I remind you that uh, SACPA is on the website and you can listen to this program uh, on audio. My name is Van Christou. I'd like to start, start by thanking you, Richard, for bringing up this important topic to us today uh, with, with such, in such detail and clarity. I was so surprised to hear, I didn't realize that uh, that, that area north of uh, what is now Waterton was part of the National Park at one time. And, uh, and when I see that our provincial government now is so reticent uh, in supporting these, uh, this, uh, this type of uh, effort, if we wouldn't be wise to direct our efforts federally in order to reestablish that as part of Waterton National Park, make it a, a, a federal national park. What do you think of the idea? Well, I think it's a great idea, but there's a couple of things about it. One is that uh, we've kept uh, Environment Minister Jim Prentice apprised of what we've been doing and proposing right from the start, and he seems um, amenable. But, of course, you, to what we're proposing, and that's, he's from the pass, actually. He's from the Crow's Nest Pass, and so, you know, they, he, for example, has been behind um, getting some grant money to a group out there that has been building trails in the mountains, which I think is a good thing, but, uh, you know, it might get more access in there and so on. But anyway, like uh, somebody else at the table was observing, well, you know what happens when the province and the feds get together. I mean, I don't know whether they actually do. Blaine back there could probably help us out on on how that would work or whether it would work. Um, but uh, I do know that there, there are other issues that relate to uh, federal jurisdiction. So in a nutshell... It was federal until 1931. It was a park between 1914 and 1921, part of Waterton. But then some bureaucrats in Ottawa apparently disagreed over how it should be used and one went out who wanted to make it a game preserve. It continued to be that until 1931 when the province took over. So the province is the owner of the land, just like it's the owner of the land out by Bow Island that, that may be sold too. Um, but but the other issue is what, when we were trying to get together in this working group to figure out how we could propose protection to the province, a number of the people involved, uh, the first thing they said on the first meeting was, if you use the word park, we're out of here. 
The other thing was that we don't want the feds in here. We don't want somebody else coming in here like uh, the federal government in a national park. We don't like the word crown of the continent. And also, if you mentioned Sierra Club, it would be game over kind of thing. So all of these things sort of spoke against uh, any reference to a national park there. What I, it, it seems like a natural, and it was at one time, but I don't know whether it would work now. I think if we can get Southern Albertans, uh, and, and a lot of Southern Albertans do see the merit in having legislative protection there. And I think the more people know about it, the more that we can ask for that to happen. My name's Cheryl Bradley. Uh, and it seems to me that what the castle needs is leaders in our pro provincial government with vision. But I, I have keep hearing the word sterilized used by cabinet ministers who are opposed to protected areas, to ecological reserves, mm -hmm. natural areas, parks, that you're sterilizing the land. Um, and I, I think this lacks the vision for the future for that southwest corner of the province um, where my vision and I think many people's vision would be uh, an economy more oriented towards tourism, recreation, large-scale ranching, wind power development. Um, and and the, this whole idea of, of your, your landscape being a, an asset and protecting your landscape being an asset instead of sterilizing it is an important one. I'm just wondering, based on your experience, whether those kinds of visions are developing in the communities that are near the South Castle and if that may ultimately sway the decision. Um, I am an optimist, um, but sometimes I, uh, well, you have to be a realist too. Um, so I think that that, that point of view is, is uh, getting more widely accepted. Um, but I would have to say that there's still a significant point of view that, that resources are there to use and use in a, in a, kind of a business-as-usual way. So forests are there to be logged, and, and that's been a long-standing approach to uh, forests. Um, like, it does sort of ebb and flow, um, but, I, but I would have to say that this is an example of where um, the thinking that it should be used prevails. In fact, um, if you look at, as I mentioned earlier, SRD, Sustainable Resource Development, the whole nature of it is not to um, deal with what's there for its intrinsic value, but it's to take it and use it one way or the other. And, you know, I'd have to also say that they do, I'm not suggesting they do it irresponsibly. I'm not saying that that's what they're doing. It's just that there are different ways you can approach that. And then the view that, that that's a natural area that people will be attracted to and are attracted to and that they'll pay money to do that is more sustainable than to cut the trees down where, you know, you won't see any, anything more for 30 to 100 years that can then be logged again. So the sustainability part of what they're doing, I, it, kind of, it kind of leaves me somewhere. I'm not sure how that works. Thank you.
My name is Gordon Campbell. You use the word they quite often, and I'm never too sure uh, when you talk about consuming and using who they are as one. But can I ask my question directly? Mm -hmm. I understand that the government has made it very clear to advocates such as yourself and that group that this land is not a special place. Mm -hmm. It's plain, ordinary land like every other patch of ordinary land around, and that the government at any time could authorize any individual to do such things as they want it to be done as defined within the scopes of the law. The law at the moment says this is ordinary ground, and you folk who, sweet-talking, good folk, who talk about how beautiful it is, and the extinct species, and other things of that, so you step aside because the government speaking, we have an economy now, mm -hmm. and we have an economy versus the environment, and we know what the government's position on environment is so frequently in this province. Would you define, please, why we don't have an advocacy group asking the government or demanding as citizens that the government define this as a special place? Well, actually, that's <laughs> it's already been it's already been designated that, and that was sort of my dispute with the minister in the first place. Was Not he? Legally. Pardon me. Not legally, you said. Well, no, it's been designated. Uh, so, in other words, again, 81 places in the province were designated, 80 were legislated. The castle was the only one that wasn't legislated. So, the legislation part was the third phase. The first, place was to, the first phase was to designate. The second phase involved a local committee out in the Pincher Creek area to decide, well, how would that look to them and what would they like to see in the area? And then the third phase was to legislate it. Well, that's the phase that we're saying should happen now because it hasn't happened yet. So we're, I guess you would say we're one of the advocacy groups. We're certainly not the only one. We're one, though, and, and just to be clear, we didn't just say, well, let's do this. We were invited. We, meaning citizens of southwestern Alberta, were invited to do this by, uh, by the then Tourism and Parks and Recreation Minister. And then, again, when Minister Aidy came out with a plan for parks about a year ago, again, it's an, it's, it was a solicitation of this kind of an effort. So we're an advocacy group. I guess, of like 35 different diverse individuals and groups, from landowners to, you know, fish and wildlife types to environmentalists to government people and so on, like government as in municipalities. So I guess, you know, if, if we wanted to say, here's SACPAW, Let's be in a, an advocacy group for the castle. Then, you know, could we do that? I, I don't know. We, we're doing it, and we hope that others will sort of see the wisdom of that and and help us out because because we have submitted it. They've put us on to the land use framework uh, uh, effort, the regional action committee that's that's putting together a plan for the South Saskatchewan River area, which we're part of. And so we're in that sort of, uh, on that list, we keep getting pushed from here to there. And finally, Minister Knight, when we met with him in July, he was very clear, this is the way it is. And I think that's why he, that's why he agreed to meet with us, to tell us that this is the way it is. Which means we're going to do with it what we think is the best thing. So, 
Yes. Gordon, uh, sorry, uh, uh, further to your concise summary, Gordon, what I'm reminded of is I ask myself, why are we Canadians so civilized? Uh, I was uh, in Europe when there are issues. They fill the streets instantly. One example, the, in Stuttgart, they're planning a new railway station, and they're going to need to cut down 250 trees. There were 10,000 people in the streets protesting. We, we Canadians are wonderfully civilized. <laughs> My name is Bob Campbell. I think, Klaus, the reason is we don't realize the value of trees yet in this country. Uh, my comment and, and question, um, you mentioned about uh, uh, you can't mention certain people like the Sierra Club and so on. But as I recall, when this whole process was happening and we went to the, the third stage when it was to be become legislated, there was a really heavy pushback from certain groups. And I believe it was snowmobilers and people, uh, ATV people. And so my uh, suggestion in terms of building a coalition is maybe you've got to get in bed with some of those folks as well to uh, push this through because they ground it to a halt immediately. It was my understanding of that whole process. Uh, <clears throat> when the invitation went out for groups to be involved in this process, the ATV and snowmobile groups were invited, and they were continually invited uh, into the process. Uh, and, and actually, some of them came to a meeting and, and contributed very well to it. I also mentioned at the table here that we, uh, well, in the first instance, you, you all know about lobby groups. Well, the ATV group has a, a paid lobbyist uh, in, in Edmonton, and that's okay. I, I mean, that's, that's part of the system. We don't. We don't have a paid lobbyist, so that may make a difference. Uh, I, I guess there's a point of view, too, that... Um, we're not going to be able to do anything about that. It's just they're there. They they do things that they love to do. They've built trails. You can see the trails marked up there. And I would have to say, in my opinion, that the organized group is they're they're responsible. It's the ones who don't stick to trails and will drive across the creeks and 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 go into a mud mud bog and just destroy an area. Those are the ones that that we have an issue with. But I don't know whether we could actually do anything about the, the organized group, nor we should, nor should we. So it's kind of a matter of, you know, like I remember having a discussion with a guy once who said, you're not going to tell him what to do. You're not going to be able to, so get him on side or deal, work with them, in other words, and that's what we're trying to do. In fact, I talked with, I spent a couple hours with Glenn French, who's the head of, um, he was the head anyway of the, Crow's Nest Pass Quad Squad, and he was also instrumental in getting some of these trails built out there. And it's quite a it's quite a system. He's a very, I mean, he loves the place just the way I do. Although he, you know, it's a little different, but he loves it as much as I do, just in a different way. So uh, you're dealing with what is, I guess, and how do you also deal with that? So you're right. There is a pushback from that. And part of it, to me, is fear, uh, and it's fear of, you know, parks. You know, they know that SRD allows them in there, but if the parks department is involved, then what will they do to keep us out? That's their assumption. And so when we talked with Sarchi Landels at the parks department, or he's a bureaucrat, 
That's a, that sounds like a bad word, too, just an environmentalist. Somebody who works for the government. You said there's a way of accommodating that kind of, a, of a recreation there as well with special zones in the area and so on. And there are places where that would probably be quite acceptable. As long as, you know, as long as they're dealing with the same reality, that there are sensitive ecosystems there, the water needs to be protected, uh, the forest needs to be protected, and all that kind of stuff, I think you'd find that a lot of them would agree. In fact, that's why a lot of people were involved that you'd wonder about, because they know it needs to be protected. So... Thank you. My name is Joseph Natuk. Uh, excellent presentation. Uh, I just wanted to offer a suggestion. Uh, you mentioned uh, the word tourism, and I noticed you said ecotourism. I would uh, really urge you that uh, if that's if that's something that's uh, uh, activity, uh, as you know, the definition is nature-based, non-consumptive use of of uh, of the resources, which means that there's, you know, the ATVs and snowmobilers, are, those are really uh, not a low priority as far as ecotourism is concerned. And I, I, I'm a new, newcomer to Alberta, and I'm not sure how powerful that group is or if there is an organization that deals with ecotourism. I think it would be something to keep back in your mind. If you need some help, I'd be able to help you organize one. Thank you. Oh, that's good to know. I'll get your name after. <laughs> No, the ecotourism is, uh, I, you know, as, as I was as I was offering at our table that um, my father had a certain view of the environment. He loved it. He'd go to Waterton and he'd pick a flower, but I'd say, what are you picking flowers for? You shouldn't do that. And so he would, in fact, uh, the, the, one of the wildlife people out there said the same thing. So, But then we went into the castle, so I went with my father and my son, and then he built a fire, and it was quite large, and I said, wait a minute. So I had a different view than my father. It didn't mean he didn't love it. And then my son comes along, and he uh, <coughs> he loves it even more in different ways, and he's more likely to be one of those at, at the forefront of protecting it. And then his, his son, the grandson, he's really into it. Um, I, sh- I won't tell you about how, how much, but he's really into it. So I think our, our hope and salvation is in our kids and grandkids, because as much as I want things to be better and change, I don't think I'm capable uh, uh, of doing it. I, I see a lot of people my age who really want the same thing, but I'm not sure how effective we are at uh, making change. But I'll cert- but ecotourism, I'll certainly <laughs> get your name. Um, my name is Lorna Brown. I don't know if this is working. Yeah, My name it is. is Lorna Brown, and I'm really, I have tons of questions, but I won't ask all of them. But I really want to know, why is Shell supporting you? There must be something, because I think Shell is so devious. <laughs> I, I really would like to know, if it's possible, what's going on there? Um, well, I think it's partly, uh, I mean, in, in my opinion, it's partly, you know, that all oil companies have an image problem, and this is a way that they can, they can present something, and I think sincerely, because Roger Creasy, who was working for uh, <coughs> Shell at the time, was involved in all our meetings right from the start, in fact, helped to organize the meetings. So I guess to answer your question, Shell, as long as they're able to pursue their interests there, and, you know, I would say 
you know, when I'm going up this place, when you, what I didn't say was you look back and you see the shell plant, and it's, it's like something out of the, you'd expect on the moon. You know, so it's there. And the other thing about shell is that they, the, the gas field there has a limit of maybe 30 more years or something like that. So they also see the need for, like, this is not a short-term thing. This has been going on for a century already. So what's to happen next? And so if Shell sees that it's a finite gas field, then it's in their interest to make sure, you know, at least for the public consumption, public in image, for it not to be left as a disaster zone. And so that I, I, I can't speak for Shell, but, I, but the way I understand it, and based on my discussions with the people who work for Shell in this whole process, they're they're interested in, in this being protected. And it might be self-interest, but I don't know. I'd like to think that they have a broader public interest, too. In, yeah. I was surprised when they were involved, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing that they were involved at all. Cody? Thanks for coming, Richard. It was great to have you. Uh, could you relate to us where Castle Mountain Resort and a sizable community up there, uh, are they involved in uh, fighting this? Um, Castle Mountain is about six square kilometers out of 1,040. When we made the proposal, they were not part of the proposal because it's private land. If they choose to be part of it, then we would obviously welcome it. Uh, you may know that that uh, that proposal was a lot bigger than it is. They wanted to put golf courses in and stuff like that. And, and through the hearing process, that was rejected. And in fact, I think, uh, well, Castle Crown Wilderness Association or Coalition was certainly, you know, involved in, in um, helping limit that as a, as a private venture. Um, I got a little concerned. This is not quite on topic, but I got a little concerned when we met with uh, Minister Aidy and Minister uh, Knight, that Minister Aidy was suggesting that, you know, development would be good. Tourism development would be good in the area. And so I'm that, you know, I wasn't able to ask questions about it. But but there's I think there's, there's always sort of pressure of that kind, and there may even be, you know, an interest uh, at Castle Mountain Resort to expand there. Uh, I'm not sure whether that could happen, would happen, and I don't think it should happen, but I think there's an interest in that. Uh, um, that's about all I could say. But they're not, they're not technically part of it. They were asked to be part of it, and they may have an interest. I don't know. Mr. Chairman, my name is Blaine Thacker, and I just <clears throat> offer a few comments. Um, I've always been amazed at this incredibly complex issue that on all sorts of different levels. And I've always been amazed at the political power that the ranchers have going back from the 1800s mm -hmm. and now into the third and fourth generation. It's amazing, truly amazing, how much power they have in getting decisions to be made or not made uh, in Edmonton. Second one, of course, are the random campers. Uh, what they're doing to those uh, riparian rights on our streams is just horrible, absolutely horrible. But they've got incredible political trout or clout. He's part of Trout Unlimited, People too. using quads and summer, you know, summer and winter. Mm -hmm. They're affecting that. 
In terms of the issue about uh, Van, I think you raised whether it could become a national park again. When you look at the area of Jasper, and Banff, and Waterton, uh, under federal jurisdiction and federal regulatory-making processes, Alberta would never consent to that because if you think we're having trouble with the castle, you can imagine what they're having in the national parks, that trying to balance production mm -hmm. and uh, as well as tourism. I wanted to just personally, Richard, as you know, uh, through our Trout Unlimited, we've written letters to the ministers too and have received inane replies. Uh, but my question to you is whether or not you think if, if kids are denied access to these areas, when they get old, they'll have no interest in it to protect mm -hmm. it. So we have to get them out now. And uh, the National Park made a brief attempt by letting grade 8 students in for free or something mm -hmm. like that. So all these ideas will come about in due course. But you have to write letters. Uh, Van, just keep writing letters. I, I should share this with you. <clears throat> I, last, uh, I saw Lane last out on the Drywood Creek last week. Uh, he and I were with uh, some people from Calgary TU and, and also with four other uh, agencies, um, Fish and Wildlife, Parks Canada, and a group called Cows and Fish. There are also 100 students, junior high students, from Pincher Creek and Glenwood who are there to watch Blaine uh, in an electrofishing exercise, which simply means you stun the fish and then you look at them and count them, and so you have a baseline for um, the fish in the river, and then you put them back, and they're okay. Um, so, so Blaine was in his waders, and he was, you know, taking the net and putting them in a bucket or holding the bucket and so on. And it was wonderful. So he mentions young people. There was a group of 100 young people who were there learning about this whole system, the riparian part of the creek, the fish in the creek. Um, we even tried to show them a uh, blue-winged olive, which is the most beautiful mayfly you could ever imagine, a little insect. And... And then there was a, there was a fellow there uh, who was with Parks who was talking about grizzly bears and so on. And this, these these junior high students who, you know, I, when I when I was then I remember they were all horm hormonal or something. But anyway, <laughs> they were totally fascinated with this. And so this is where I think you know we need to be able to to get them, get them out there, and so that they understand and they can see for themselves before the before the logs are gone. My name is Frances Schultz, and one of the questions that has come up in my mind is this is an area that was national park, then it became public land, now we have the, the, um, the castle ski hill air complex area that you have said is private land mm -hmm. now. Uh, is there any protection to keep... I'd like to know what the history of how that occurred, but I also, is there any protection to keep that from continuing to happen all along through public land forest reserve area? Well, I can't honestly answer that. That's one of the reasons that we want it legislated. If it's in legislation, then that, w with that goes 
you know, the, the protection that it doesn't get turned over into private hands. But we're still, I'm still concerned. Like, for example, uh, there, there used to be a minimum or minimum security, you know, prison camp there, right at the Castle River Bridge. In fact, I went fishing up there one time, and, and I looked upstream, and there's a bunch of prisoners up there along the stream, so I thought I shouldn't be there. Anyway, that area... That area um, has been proposed for a private sort of lodge in the past, and I and I don't know. I like I would hope that it remains public. In fact, like it would be a, a crime for it to any more of it to go into private hands. To me, that's a little bit ideological. I think that public lands, just like the ones down here in, near Bow Island, I think that should remain as a as public lands. But I think there's a, a view that you know the private sector can do better. Bridget, the last question to you. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Bridget. Bridget Pasteur. And um, I, I really probably am up here as a very selfish person, but um, I've lived at Lee Lake for 42 years, and so I am very, very, very familiar with this area, and I've watched the changes. I used to take my kids to White Castle Falls, and it really was wilderness. And now you drive down that road, and there's big... Um, Fifth wheelers with satellite dishes and oh my, it, yeah, it's just horrifying. But what I'd like to do, if I may, is just make a bit of a comment and then uh, ask your uh, ask a question on that. Is that um, you were talking about education and we have a very very dedicated person in our in our midst, uh, Paul Bonart, who Paul. has worked very 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 hard to try to ensure that we get education along this line into our school systems. So not only write the government, write your school boards. If the school boards, if enough school, rural school boards would start pushing pressure onto the school board, <coughs> excuse me, the school board association, <coughs> I'm sorry, the school board association as a whole, then that gets filtered through to the Minister of Education. So it's, it's just one more area that we mm -hmm. could work at. I was in uh, Okotoks, um, coincidentally helping my daughter Florence, who's running for council. Uh, and, um, I, I, yeah, I may have overdone this political thing. But, um, oh, thanks, Gordon. Um, but there was, a, there was a, a tabloid on her table, and it was probably 10 pages, and it was tabloid side. And I think it was called Energy. And it was all about teaching oil and gas in the schools and it's mm -hmm. all it's pretty much sponsored by Encana. Mm -hmm. And so I was horrified to see that kind of power going into our schools. So I think we have to fight back on the environmental side within our schools as well. I'm sorry I probably have a question. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually um, when I was writing a column for the Herald I did some research onto that and actually I also talked to Paul quite at length. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but Paul is writing a curriculum on the environment for the province. He's also, his, his, his kids are um, really into it. He's got a, well, I can't say enough about him. But, but I also found out that there are, there are groups, not many, but there are some groups and uh, some who are connected with education in the province who are trying to, you know, advance the cause of the, of the environment and so on. And interestingly, I, I noticed in one of them, and I can't remember the name of it, that the oil companies were there. And so it seems like that they're trying to 
provide some balance. Uh, whoever they are, and, and Gordon, you asked about they. Well, they, are, I guess, are are those who who um, want business as usual, and sometimes that's okay. And business as usual, we know what the oil companies are going through uh, here in the province already over the oil sands and so on. I think they, I think they realize, and I hope that they do, and that they that they would show that they're going to adjust and take more into account and actually show that they're doing something about the environment. So um, what do I think about it? I think, I don't know. I mean, I already said I'm an environmentalist, so as much as you can get into the schools, the better. In fact, when I was on, when I was on the school board here, I, we, used to, we had this argument back in the late 80s and early 90s. Well, you know, the three R's, you know, how do arts and stuff like that fit into it? We even had that sort of a push. So, you know, there's always sort of the minimalist point of view and that sort of thing, and also the other um, prevailing point of view that I think students need to know about both, but they certainly need to know more about the environment. Thank you, Richard. As moderator, please give me one minute to give you this little story. Um, in 1990, the Castle Cowan Wilderness Coalition was formed with Dave Shepard, and I was part of that. And three years later, behold it or not, we had a hearings in Pincher Creek, a science-based hearings in Pincher Creek, and they produced this document, NRC Decision Report. This cost a million dollars, okay? And... It asked for protection of the castle area, 92% of it. And believe it or not, cabinet approved this document. And then they formed a consultation group to, 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 to define the management of the area. And then a few, days, few months later, cabinet rescinded it. So then it was put back on the shelf and that was the best opportunity we ever had to protect that area. But just with that last information, I want to thank Richard for his wonderfully impressive and balanced presentation. And I thank you profusely for your interest, for your attendance, and for your excellent questions. Clap for everybody, Richard, and for yourself.